So very thankful for your presence on this very special Sunday. Uh, We read earlier in the worship service the witness of the Gospels, the event of the resurrection, and now we reflect for a few moments on the Apostle Paul's reflection on what that means, sort of several years after the experience, after his life had changed, looking back on and into the mystery of resurrection. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from verses 19 through 26 of 1 Corinthians 15. This is the longest single unbroken discussion of the resurrection in all of Scripture. And we're taking just a snippet and a piece of it. It will be on the screen as well. And I'm going to read this aloud and invite you to listen along silently and prayerfully and actively as you hear God's Word. If you're able, would you stand please as I read God's Word and as God's Word comes among us. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Several weeks ago, Janet and I uh, went to the movies and saw the movie Risen. Uh, Very well done. Not what I expected uh, uh, with a a very, very interesting historical uh, foundation to it. It's the story of how one Roman ruler, one Roman authority, begins to experience and process the reality of Jesus Christ. Uh, There's a particularly uh, compelling scene in the movie when this Roman authority begins to do the calculus and begins to think about the possibility as he's looking at the empty tomb, what if Jesus Christ really has been raised from the dead. How does that change things and how is that the new reality and how is it then that the kingdom of God might be greater than the kingdom of the Roman Empire? There's one particular scene when he's focused on the rope, the very strong large rope that has been bound and tied around the disc-like rock that was rolled in front of the tomb where Jesus has been placed. And of course, now the tomb is empty. The rock has been rolled away, and the ropes that had bound the rocks together were burst. And this Roman authority points out to his underlings the rope was not cut. The rope is frayed in such a way to show that it has been broken by a power very great, just like you would snap a piece of string. And in his mind, he's beginning to think, what does it mean if life 
all of life has come under new management. And it's not the Roman government. It's not the Roman Empire. It's not the human authority that's really in charge anymore. He begins to think about what it's like. You know, one mistake we make in our Western living, very removed from the historical events of the resurrection, is the mistake of thinking that it was a small thing for the early followers of Jesus to believe in the resurrection and to confess the resurrection. It was very dangerous for them to do so. It was very costly for them to do so. Let me, let me just show you exactly what I mean with a brief history lesson. About 40 years before Jesus was born, Julius Caesar was assassinated, the leader of Rome, assassinated. Now, you can read all about it. Will Shakespeare has a great play, and uh, he can tell you all about it, the details. But a couple of years after Julius was assassinated, the Roman citizens felt so sentimental and so empowered that they, they made him a god, They deified him, and they began to call his memory the Son of God. And then all the emperors who came along after him, including Augustus and those of Jesus' time and later, all of those were then called Lord, and they were called Son of God. So when Jesus was raised from the dead, and the early Christians started announcing that Jesus has been raised and Jesus is Lord, there was all kinds of political tension. Because while the Roman soldiers would salute, Caesar is Lord, the followers of Jesus would say, well, not so fast. Jesus is Lord. Have you ever seen a hotel or a business change hands there's, a, there's a, a change of ownership and there'll be a big sign out front that says, under new management. You know that the menu is going to change. You know that the philosophy and approach is going to change. You know the business plan has changed. You know the whole approach is different because there's a sign that says, under new management. And so the Apostle Paul is trying to announce to us that all of life is under new management. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Everything has changed. I like what uh, one man has said uh, several years ago. He said, the resurrection of Jesus is not just about the inner life or the afterlife. It's about all of life. You know, we try to make the resurrection just something we talk about one Sunday a year that makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside but it's not just about the inner life. Or we make the resurrection something we only talk about at funerals to make people feel better about the afterlife. But it's not just about the inner life or the afterlife. It's about all of life. God is bigger than we imagined. God's bigger than we imagined. In fact, the resurrection announces that God is so big that he cannot be put in a little box. He cannot be put in a little box with marker written across it, Sunday hobby, and put on the shelf and brought down once a week. 
the resurrection means that God is so big that he has something to do with every day of our lives, Monday through Saturday, Sunday, every part of our lives. He is risen and life is under new management. Now the Apostle Paul was always searching for words and images to get at this new management resurrection concept. And so he comes up with an interesting one uh, in our scripture in verses 21 and 22. He says, you know, death came through a human being. That would be Adam. So the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. That would be Jesus Christ. For as all die in Adam, verse 22, so all will be made alive in Christ. The second Adam or the new Adam. The Apostle Paul says that this change of management is so drastic that we almost have to think of a new humanity, a new human race founded in the person of Jesus Christ the day he was raised from the dead. Now I find that very interesting because of a book that uh, David Brooks has recently written. David Brooks, many of you know, is a columnist for the New York Times. He writes very incisive uh, commentary about our social, political, and religious life. Uh, We may not always agree with him, but he's very, very insightful. He just just has written a book entitled The Road to Character. Now, I find it interesting that in his discussion of character and what it means to belong to a a society, he says there are Adam-1 virtues and Adam-2 virtues. He said Adam 1 virtues are things like the ability to work, the ability to produce goods and services, uh, the ability to beat the competition and do better than the person sitting beside you. He said all that's good to a point, but eventually, if selfishness is dominating life, that turns in on itself. And it becomes a a societal kind of cancer. And all of those virtues become things like uncontrolled greed, lust, racism, sexism, deception, and lies. He says, on the other hand, there are Adam two virtues. That would be the new Adam in our Christian parlance. He said the Adam two virtues are what he chooses to call the eulogy virtues. They're the things that you'd like to have read at your funeral. The things that you would like people to say about you at your funeral. And he said those virtues are things like courtesy and kindness, forgiveness, courage, loyalty, and self-discipline. The kinds of things that build a culture, that build a society, rather than tearing it down. You see... You see, life under new management, even described in secular terms in a way that we can understand. What does it mean that all of your life is under new management? That Jesus raised from the dead is now in charge? Think about the power of this God through Christ to forgive our sins, to to erase all of our mess-ups, our flaws, to push life's reset button through the name of Jesus Christ and to make life new again. Have you ever pondered 
the fact that the disciples after Jesus' resurrection may have been actually frightened because if Jesus was raised from the dead, then he might come back and he might exact vengeance on all of those who had killed him. And he might exact a penalty upon all the disciples who'd forsaken him. Do you remember the Apostle Peter denying Jesus three times the night of the trial? The first time Jesus approaches Simon Peter after he's been raised from the dead, don't you imagine Simon Peter had a lump in his throat thinking what's coming next? But Jesus forgave him. Jesus restored him. And Jesus used him. In fact, the Apostle Peter was one of the greatest apostles of the early church. The same thing with Paul who wrote the scriptures of our text today. He totally messed up. He totally missed the point. He totally missed the the law of love and the gospel of grace. And then he met the risen Christ. And Christ forgave all of his sins. What power is there to know that life can be new again, that life can be transformed by the power of Christ? But the problem is that most of us think we have to earn that. We have to work for that. That we have to be good enough to receive that. But it's grace. We don't earn it. It's God's gift to us. We can't earn it. We claim our inheritance by faith. We trust the living Christ. But we can never earn that forgiveness. There is about the resurrection of Jesus this eerie truth that life is under new management, that my past can be forgiven, all of my mess-ups and embarrassing failures can be wiped out, and through his power, I become new. There's also this very fascinating and powerful truth in the resurrection that, that death is not the last word. Did you hear what? Paul said, then comes the end. When Christ comes, he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father. After he has destroyed every ruler and authority and power, for he must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, nobody likes to think about death. Nobody likes to talk about death. We all get a little uneasy when we think about our own death. We're all like Woody Woody Allen who said, I don't have anything against death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. That's pretty much us. I want to get to the other side. I just don't want to have to go through the valley. But the resurrection promise is a promise that says that in resurrection life, There are no hospitals or no cemeteries. There are no cancer treatment centers in the resurrection life. There's no crying in the resurrection life. There are no more goodbyes in the resurrection life. And in a hint of the Trinitarian nature of our faith, Scripture teaches us that the Spirit of Jesus will lead us up to that moment of death. And Jesus will go on ahead of us and prepare a room for us after death. And that God will be there waiting on us when death happens. How can you be defeated with this Trinitarian God 
who will not allow hate or sin or death to defeat us. He is the one who walks with us up to the moment of death. The one who has gone before us to prepare the way. And the one who's waiting on us when we come home. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now we live in frightening times. The threat of terrorism is always on our minds, especially after events of this past week. We live in times of such change, we can't keep up, and all of the things that change around us frighten us. But the resurrection message is that life is under new management. And I want to ask you a question. Should we be fixating on what the world is coming to, or should we be fixating on who's coming to the world? Because our hope is not in what the world is coming to, but who is coming. And Scripture has promised that God has the last word, and life is under new management. Now, It may not always look that way. It may not always feel that way. In fact, you may be sitting there thinking, well, I have a lot of evidence to the contrary that life is under new management. But you see, there's more evidence than you perhaps are willing to acknowledge this morning. There's a great story told about uh, some American prisoners of war during World War II, through the blessing of shortwave radio in their prison camp in Europe, they heard the news of the Allied invasion of Normandy on D-Day. And they'd been around the military strategies enough and had heard the plan enough to know that this meant the beginning of the end for the Axis powers, that this meant that the Allies would win And the prisoners actually started celebrating and started cheering and started laughing. And the prison guards asked them what they were so excited about, and they just told them. The POWs told them. And the prison guards said, you're fools. We're holding the guns. You're behind the barbed wire, and you're rejoicing. But the prisoners kept on smiling and kept on telling them, We've heard a message you haven't heard. The victory is won. And everything may look to the contrary. But the good news of resurrection this morning is that life is under new management. That God in Christ is in charge. And this morning we hear a message that not everybody may hear. But it's the message of victory. It's the message of Jesus. It's the message of liberation. Let's pray together. Thank you, mighty God, for your great love. Open our hearts to all that you have for us. This is our prayer together in Christ's name. Amen.